What does it feel like to be Latino in Utah, as opposed to being Latino in Southern California or in Texas? What does it feel like to have brown skin in a place where most people have white skin? It's a question I posed to some of my Utah Latino friends. All right, so um, for me, this is an interesting question. This is Jorge Rodriguez. I've only lived in Utah for about 15 years now, and so I think I'm probably one of the the, the one of the people who has been here the least in the room, uh, the least amount of time. Um, but I didn't realize I had a skin color until I moved to Utah. Uh, and I don't know how else to put it. Uh, I lived in L.A. A, a long time. I lived in uh, all over the place. I've lived in Texas and Hawaii and, uh, uh, you know, I've... Everywhere I went, you know, I knew that I wasn't necessarily from there, but I never felt as out of place in a place as I have here in Utah. Um, it's the first place that I've gotten pulled over for driving. It's the first place that I've been stared at for walking down the street. It's the first place where I've lived in a neighborhood or in an area for more than a couple of years, and I still have people huddling their kids closer to them. And it's very, very interesting to me because I know who I am, but they don't. And they're all they have are the very limited experiences and the portrayals of someone who's not me. And so being in Utah is a very unique thing for me because I now identify more strongly as a Chicano than I would have otherwise. I think that part of the reason why I call myself a Chicano so much now and why I really uh, adhere to the culture is because this is my response to those reactions, to that lack of representation and to the, you know, the lack of familiarity from, from people about people like myself. So this is Nuevas Voces, of course. This is episode 20. And in this one, we're talking about what it means to be viewed as an outsider or as not belonging because of one's skin color, specifically how it can feel to be Latino in Utah. We'll also be talking about how art can turn all of that upside down. We'll look at the work of one contemporary Chicana artist, Linda Vallejo, who has been transforming established images of white people and challenging society's norms and assumptions about skin color and race when it comes to brown skin and white skin. Her work is titled, Make Em All Mexican. But before we get to that, let's first consider this idea about not belonging. So there's this film called Selena. It's a 1997 biopic drama about the life of the late Chicana pop singer. In one memorable scene, Selena, played by Jennifer Lopez, is talking with her father, played by Edward James Olmos, about what it means to be Mexican-American. Listen, being Mexican-American is tough. Anglos jump all over you if you don't speak English perfectly. Mexicans jump all over you if you don't speak Spanish perfectly. We've got to be twice as perfect as anybody else. <laughs> Why are you laughing? What's so funny? Nothing. I'm serious. Our family has been here for centuries, and yet they treat us as if we just swam across the Rio Grande. I mean, we got to know about John Wayne and Pedro Infante. We got to know about Frank Sinatra and Agustin Lara. We got to know about Oprah and Cristina. Anglo food is too bland, and yet when we go to Mexico, we get the runs. Now, that to me is embarrassing. Japanese Americans, Italian Americans, German Americans, their homeland is on the other side of the ocean. <laughs> Ours is right next door, right over there. And we gotta prove to the Mexicans how Mexican we are, and we gotta prove to the Americans how American we are. We gotta be more Mexican than the Mexicans and more American than the Americans, both at the same time. It's exhausting. 
Does this dichotomy about not really belonging anyplace feel familiar? If you're a person of Mexican descent, have you ever been made to feel like an outsider when visiting Mexico? Or has anyone ever assumed that you were an outsider in your own country, the United States? It's this feeling of being of two worlds, but at the same time, not belonging in either place. It seems like everyone might be able to share a story. I'd like to say, having grown up here 60 years ago, there were obviously very few uh, Latino people. This is Gloria Gonzalez-Cook. You know, walking into a store, people turn around and stare at you. Um, one of the reasons that I hyphenated my name was because when I got married, my husband is not Hispanic, his name is Cook. Um, I would call somebody up looking for an apartment, and I'd introduce myself, and I'm, I'm a university student, and my husband works at the U, you know, and I don't sound like I'm from anywhere else. But then when they would meet me, it was a completely different story. Oh, I'm so sorry, there's a long line waiting for the apartment, and, you know, I mean, it was really... Uh, this is in the 70s. And um, that's when I said, you know, I feel like I'm uh, trying to hide myself. I don't want to hide myself. I want them to know who I am up front, and they can decide how they feel about me then. And so it, it took me a while. When we moved to New York, I, was, I hyphenated my name. But, um, you know, it was just, uh, you, you were so unique. And I, as I said, I went to West High, but back then there were very few Hispanics at West High. You know, we were a true minority. The minority population in Utah back then was 2%. That included Hispanics, Blacks, Native Americans, Asians. It, it included everybody. Today, Utah's minority population is roughly 21%, and the fastest-growing minority group are Latinos, who make up about 15% of the state's demographics. Or, to put it another way, one in every seven Utahns are Hispanic. That's a significant part of our state's population. But for me, someone who grew up in Utah and have lived here about 40 years, this state didn't used to be so diverse. And frankly, I never felt more white than when I left Utah and I went to Texas for a few years during college. That was a place with much more ethnic and racial diversity. But I've gradually figured out that part of white privilege is not having to think about being white. Living in Utah, I was totally oblivious to the experiences of people of color. I didn't have experiences like Luis's. So I, I came to Utah at the age of 17. It was just before my senior year of high school, and I went from Garden Grove, California, to Lehigh, Utah. All right, so uh, I'm from Santana, but I, I went to high school in Garden Grove, and so there was a little bit of less uh, of a Mexican population, but there was more uh, Filipino and Vietnamese, so still had some, some diversity in that regard. And uh, when I came to Lehigh, I was one of about five kids that self-identified as Latino. Right. Um, very grateful for the Carreño family out in Lehigh. Uh, that was one of the safe spaces that I could actually go hang out in. And it was one of those cool families where we don't care if you're playing music till two, three in the morning, as long as you're here. Right. And so um, I didn't feel that out of place amongst uh, communities of color. Right. It was actually when I was in more white spaces that I felt the difference. And as a lot of the other uh, people here mentioned it was then that I was being looked at as some kind of exotic creature or I walk in a store and let's say the person before me goes oh you know welcome to such and such let me know if you need help I walk and said what can I get for you right little things like that those little microaggressions micro assaults um, but again it wasn't when I was in you know Mexican communities Chicano communities it was mostly when I was in predominantly white communities that I felt that change this is Jorge Rodriguez. Um, so another thing that I thought was really interesting was uh, Utah is the first place that uh, anybody asked me if I had a green card. 
or would ask me if I, you know, why I didn't have an accent. And it's, <laughs> it, it's insane. I mean, I would be in, in university and I'd be telling about my time in the military and they're like, wait, but do you have a green card? Do you, you know, um, you speak English so well. And at the time, I, I, it was such a strange question to have asked me because, you know, I was well over 30 years old and somebody asking me that for the first time in my life was crazy to me. So, yeah, it's definitely been an interesting place to live. This song is from Cheech Marin's 1987 film, Born in East L.A. an experience of a couple actually twice um here's gloria again i have been pulled over by immigration i've been stopped by immigration once i was getting off a bus i had been in mexico and i was traveling from tucson but it was in las vegas and i was trying to get back to salt lake and the immigration boarded the bus and wanted your id but um the other time i had gone to la and then i ended up spending a couple of days with my aunt and uncle and they lived in the san fernando valley in a suburb of in la county i was walking to the store because they had my uncle had gone to work and you know so I'm walking to the store and this black car pulls up right to the curb and two men in black suits <laughs> to get out and stop me and want to see ID want to know where where I'm from and then they heard me talk you know and they're like, well where did you go to high school uh, West High Salt Lake City I mean but I thought I do not I mean I am first and second generation US born but my family's been here a hundred years. I do not look like somebody that just crossed the border. I, and I'm, I don't mean to stereotype anybody, but I do not look like that. When I go to Mexico, they know I'm an American. But to have immigration, American immigration, stop me. I mean, it, and it's happened twice in my life.
So how does one combat the racism, the stereotyping, the profiling, the social repression, or essentially for those with indigenous roots, the relentless practice of colonization? Well, there is one Chicana artist in Southern California who, a few years ago, found a unique way to use humor instead of anger and irony and satire to question whether race or color or class really actually define our status in the world. Several years ago, Linda Vallejo started finding and collecting artifacts of Americana in antique stores. Things like pictures, paintings, sculptures, or dolls. And, well, I'll just let her explain. This is from a 2015 UCLA Chicano Studies Research Center interview with Linda Vallejo when she spoke about her Make Em All Mexican series. And so when you go out and you're buying these things and you're looking for things, suddenly you begin to realize that there aren't any Mexican, there's no brown images out there. There's no brown images. If you find a brown image, it's what's a little salt pepper shaker of a little Indian, right? Or, you know, and even, the, even if you find the vaquero, which I did, I found a beautiful vaquero. It was done in like that cracked porcelain from the 1960s, mm. right? You don't see brown images. You don't see those kinds of images. So it just dawned on me, well, gee, why don't I make them brown? Let's make them brown. So that's what Linda Vallejo has been doing, making them all brown. And if you get the chance, go to our website and check out some of Linda's work. She takes well-known Americana images like photographs, sculptures, and figurines of white people and transforms them into more Latino-looking characters with brown skin. American Gothic becomes Mexican Gothic. Superman becomes Super Hombre. Marilyn Monroe becomes Marilina. George and Martha Washington become Jorge and Marta. Ben Affleck and Matt Damon holding their Oscars become Bernardo y Mateo. You get the idea. Gloria here says Vallejo's work reminds her of the days when only white people were given the acting roles in movies. You know, this idea that anytime they wanted to make something about a Latin American you couldn't cast a Latin American actor. And then, just in general, other roles that, well, why not? Why can't you just cast? If it's a general role, if it's just somebody you know, there, why can't he be Mexican? Or why can't he be Japanese? Or why can't he be anything? It wouldn't really matter if somebody is really good, if the part is good, if the role is written well, if it's written well, and somebody can do that. What difference did it make? We're starting to see that bend a little bit now. But but that's but yes, and it's been long it's been a long road. <laughs> For Fanny, who grew up in Mexico, Vallejo's reconfigured images remind her of her childhood impressions of who she thought Americans were, the mostly white people or characters she saw in the movies or other media. Everything that I watched as a little girl that was American was all white. So you grow up with this idea that in the United States, everyone is white. And you know, that's at least a perception that you are taught in Mexico. As, uh, everybody thinks that all U.S. is like New York. At least that's what I thought. <laughs> so it was an eye-opening uh, uh, opportunity for me to move to the U.S. and say that, no, it's not that way. <laughs> Hay un amigo en mí. 
Yeah, for me, I mean, I think just with the discussion we're having about, um, you know, not having representation in, in films and media and how they'll use brownface or blackface to, you know, perpetuate stereotypes, I think that's why these pieces by Linda Vallejo are so important because, she, okay, if we're going to use brownface, we're going to do it for representation. We're going to reclaim this, uh, you know, image that is very powerful uh, and we're going to brown it up and now it speaks to us too. And so uh, I love the defiance uh, that, she, that she's uh, utilizing here. And um, it takes certain images that I think previously would, would, would cause a little trauma, cause a little harm when you don't see yourself. Uh, and now it's, uh, well, it's nice. It feels good. So as a white guy, I can't say that I'm offended by anything that Linda Vallejo is doing here, her transformation of these artifacts of Americana. In fact, I really love it. I love how Vallejo is so audaciously flipping the script on things and pushing us into unknown territory. I like how she's challenging our implicit bias. It's defiant. It's kind of radical. And yeah, I think it can make some of us white people chuckle with a tinge of discomfort. And Vallejo says that's okay. Here she is again from that 2015 conversation. Yeah, it's okay to laugh. Please laugh. If you laugh, that means you're getting it. If you laugh, that means you're willing to walk through this doorway with me and talk about the politics of color and the politics of class and the politics of privilege, the politics of what access. If you're willing to laugh, you can get through this door. But if you have like a, you know, like a lot of anger, the door is shut to you. Right? You end up kind of stuck in the, in the, sort of, in the past with the anger thing. If you can laugh about it, you're on your way to healing, you know, to a healing about this and being able to not take yourself so seriously, maybe even like your brownness. Mm. <laughs> Brown is beautiful, man. <laughs> hey. Interestingly, Vallejo says her work does offend some people. Have people been offended or uh, discussed their reactions with you at all? Or? Oh, heck yeah. They come right at me. <laughs> uh, one person looked right at me and said, do you want to be white? Mm. <laughs> I said, yes, I do. <laughs> of course I did, right? What am I going to say? I wasn't going to break into tears or anything like that. I said, yes, I do. I want the access. I want the privilege. I want the money. I want the power. I want it all. <laughs> and I want it now. Here's something else that's interesting. Vallejo's brownification of Americana doesn't necessarily excite some Latinos. Here's Fanny. I show one of these images to one of my family members. <laughs> and the first expression was like, Oh, no está tan bonito. You know, white means beautiful, blue eyes. And then suddenly you put it brown like, oh. But see, a Mexican saying that, like, what? <laughs> it's brown like you. Yes, but, you know, like, is it interesting? sign that they've internalized exactly. these ideas. Exactly. And so, so, I find they, it so they can't even appreciate the beauty of seeing themselves in exactly. the image. Linda Vallejo herself says she often hears similar reactions from Latinos. For example, one question she says she gets is, Why do you make them so dark? Oh, was that coming from Latinos? Absolutely. Okay. 
Why do you make him so dark? We're not that dark. Why do you make him so dark? I'm not that dark. <laughs> so the only thing I can come back with is a good joke. I like him short and dark. What are you going to do? <laughs> I love it. It's so rude. It's a, it's a good joke, though, right? I like him short and dark. What are you going to do? And all the guys that were short and dark go, ah. <laughs> You know what I mean? Thank God somebody likes the short and dark guys, right? <laughs> you, know? And you know, what are you gonna do? I mean, I I I, I like them. I like them short and dark. What are you gonna do? I I can't. I don't have any excuse for it. But then, you know, like one of the conversations that came up was that when I was born, I was very fair, and as I got older, I got darker and darker, and I could feel the love of my family ebbing away. <laughs> A Latin American actually said that. I mean, this is intense. So why do you make them so dark comes actually from within, within Latino culture, Mexican culture itself. Yeah. It's not something that's outside. It's not one culture against another. It's one yeah. culture against itself. So what should we take away from these conversations about this internalized negativity about a brown complexion versus a white one? I'd prefer to live in a world where everyone can be beautiful, can think of themselves as beautiful, no matter their skin color. I'd prefer to live in a world with a lot less fear and hate, and instead live in a world with much more love and acceptance and compassion. What can we all do to make our society more equitable and just and a, a kinder place for everyone? I want to send you off with this bit of tape and these thoughts and advice. This is Fanny, followed by Jorge, then Chris, and then Luis. So I'm just wondering, like, for when we turn this into a podcast, and you know, people, because this is an English podcast, and I think people who will be listening to this, Utahns from the majority white ethnic community, what sort of advice or thoughts would you have for them? What do you think needs to change um, that's not happening right now? I don't know. The other day yeah. about this as we went hiking and I actually thought about wearing a t-shirt or maybe a sign that says something like ask who I, ask me who I am so feel free to ask questions <laughs> I don't mind really I better you <coughs> ask me than make assumptions because mm. I'm okay to start a conversation <laughs> you know? um, so one of the things that I always encourage people to do specifically for the Latinos in our community to do is to actually go out of their way to reach out and talk to people and let themselves be known because it is much harder to demonize to ostracize or to even just stereotype groups of people if you know them if you realize hey this is my neighbor this is my my son's you know school friend this person works at the bank that I go to you know once you put a face and you have a name and you have uh, an identity that you can put on them other than what you already preconceived then it's much harder to just kind of you know put them in a little box and so i think it's part of our responsibility much like fania said to put ourselves out there and be known <clears throat> sure and i i agree with what Jorge just said about um you know making ourselves do that i mean it's part of the reason why i'm in school to begin with you know i want to educate myself on what kind of <clears throat> things out there exist and how I can incorporate myself into that what kind of stories can I tell that, that I can be can be pushed you know statewide and nationwide and worldwide you know what, what, where can I see the where can I see my perspective or my stories being told right and so that's part of it <clears throat> at the same time I do think there needs to be 
certain kind of trainings or certain kind of exposure for those who are already in, in the institution to, to, to actually try and reach out. Because a lot of times I feel like we will be <clears throat> trying to tell our story. We will be trying to do something and who's listening. You know, and so it kind of has to be in, in both directions. So I do completely agree that, yes, we have to put ourselves out there. But who is actually going to be the ones listening to us? Who's going to go into our communities and listen to our needs? Uh, <clears throat> part of the issue is that we simply may not understand the system that supposedly is representing us. You know, our communities may not understand because of language barriers. They may not understand because of uh, connection barriers, class issues. I mean, there's so many different <clears throat> identities that play into that. But if somebody isn't willing to, to, to go across those lines... Um, and see what the community needs and it's simply not going to happen you know i do i do uh feel grateful for some of the political representatives that we do have in the house and senate who who do go to those communities and do that you know um there's right now a lot of women of color out there who are senators and that's very that's that's awesome in the state of utah to see you know um and i think we just need more of that and i think we need we need a, some kind of system that's officially sanctioned by the government in spanish for example in spanglish you know <laughs> where people can can read it and understand it in simple terms of what is happening yeah so for me i guess what i would advise uh you know listeners that maybe don't identify uh as, as mexican or latino or chicano what they can be doing uh, the one thing I, I encourage is quality interactions with other people that are different than you uh, and there are a couple ground rules for that uh, don't approach it as a, a checklist, like a little you know box. Like, oh, I, I went to a diversity training. I know what people different than me are. Check. No. Um, the second would be, and this is the hardest one, and this is, I think, for every person. Um, when you do go to some kind of cultural event or, or you are going to go interact with people that are different than you, check your ego at the door. Okay? We, we tend to view the world through our cultural lens, and we view it as uh, you know, the, dominant, the dominant point of view, right? When we go to these other spaces, we need to go as students to learn, right? Because that's how we truly grow as people. And so uh, when you go and say, okay, I know in my culture, this means this, this has that value. Well, I'm going to occupy this space. How do they view it? And I need to respect that. Um, with those rules in mind, I think those quality interactions will lead to, to positive benefits. And you'll start to see other people as human, right? Because I think the root issue uh, with a lot of the stories that we're sharing is these ideologies that dehumanize us. Right. And so once you start to see uh, people of color as humans and you have quality interactions that will challenge your way of thinking, uh, leading to, to growth and ultimately truly understanding others because you have firsthand experience, not just because you read it in a book or saw a documentary. Pocho, a name I was called as a kid with the intentions of degrading and humiliating me. Pocho wasn't exactly sure what it meant at first. I felt emotional pain before I ever comprehended its verbal meaning. Pocho. It promoted self-hatred and confusion as to who I was and what I was doing here. Pocho. I wasn't like here and I wasn't like there. Pocho. I knew I was Mexican, I looked Mexican, but why did I have trouble speaking Spanish? Well, this song is by the Chicano musicians Los Alacranas, Ramon Chunky Sanchez and his brother Ricardo Sanchez. Ramon Sanchez passed away a few years ago. His brother lives in San Diego. 
where you can see many of the images we discussed in this episode from Linda Vallejo's series, Make Em All Mexican, on the website for this podcast at artismexut.org. Please share your own thoughts with us. Has anyone ever made you feel like you don't belong in the U.S., even though you were born in this country? How do you react, or how did you wish you responded? And what do you think of Linda Vallejo's work? How does it make you feel? What does it make you think about? And do you have anything to add to this conversation about this internalization of negative feelings that some Latinos have about their own brownness? How do you think more people of color, or Latinos, can overcome these attitudes? Let us know by leaving us a comment on our website. A huge thanks to Chris Macias, Luis Lopez, Jorge Rodriguez, Gloria Gonzalez-Cook, and Fanny Blauer for sharing their experiences and commentary in this episode. And in case you didn't notice, some of the music we used in this episode are Spanish-language covers of English classic songs. The music you heard in this episode comes from Gypsy Kings, El Chicano, Latin Playboys, Chich Marin, Gustavo Santalaya, Antonio Pinto, Alejandro Guzman, Metalachi, Elliot Goldenthal, Chicano Batman, and of course, Los Alacranes. This podcast is made possible by a grant from Utah Humanities. Thanks to KPCW in Park City for this studio space. I'm Ross Chambliss. This is Nuevas Fosas. A Ford or a Chevy? Pocho! I'm beginning to think that there's pride in the word. A pride that was incarcerated by shame and stereotypes. Pocho! You know what? I am a pocho. A proud pocho. Proud because I have survived cultural denials and attacks on my soul. Pocho. Simon que yes. Soy Ramon Sanchez. But better known as Chunky. A little bit of that and a little bit of this. That's who I am. One badass pocho. Quítate before I get mad and say, Yo soy chicano, tengo color. Puro chicano, hermano con honor. Cuando me dicen que hay revolución, defiendo a mi raza con mucho valor. Tengo mi orgullo, yo tengo mi fe. Tengo corazón y no me lo quita a mí ningún cabrón.